Welcome to Reflection Radio, reflecting on passion, performance, and perspective with each of our guests. All information and opinions stated on Reflection Radio do not necessarily reflect that of the producers or a Reflection Studio. No information supplied should be taken as or in place of medical advice. Please enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to Reflection Radio. Uh, today I'm going to be talking again with James Thayer, always a welcome guest on the podcast because he's just such a wealth of knowledge, but also the perspective that he brings to every conversation we have. Today, we're talking a little bit about uh, originally uh, confidence versus cowardice and that we need enough confidence to grow, um, but we can't be cowards within our vulnerability as well. But this quickly changed directions into uh, more talking towards males. Demographic is obviously who we can speak to, but male uh, mental health um, and how we need to speak towards the vulnerabilities we must have to find strength um, but these topics do extend into suicide and often sensitive topics towards uh, many of the populations so we just want to acknowledge that this is perspective based this is opinion based there's nothing meant to discredit uh, or uphold as as factual um, it is meant to just be a conversation among uh, colleagues and friends and if you find something within it we, we welcome you to reach out and speak to us or if you are struggling to obviously reach out and speak to those who can be your supportive community even if you feel alone please don't hesitate to reach out to one of the professional uh, operations that deals with with uh, mental health, the suicide hotline, or anything else, it is worth a conversation. It is important to you know give your brain and your mind the merit it deserves, but not get trapped in your own echo chamber. And we will speak to that today again. So thank you so much for the listen. Thank you so much for your perspectives. And uh, yeah, always uh, always reach out. Always stay strong. Take care and enjoy the listen. I think this is kind of a great segue to the conversation we talked about of like cowardice versus or confidence, courage versus cowardice. Correct. Yeah. 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 Um, So like I've had that exact same conversation a lot of times in a university setting with college students and uh, especially going into the job field, like that transition from student into professional that during the interview process, like know what skills you have, know where you're limited at. Cause I don't know if it's similar to you, but in a university, almost guaranteed on every single um, interview process you go through at some point it'll ask what are your strengths what are your weaknesses mm -hmm. and so like having having a understanding of where those are professionally but also personally I think allows you to see like allows you to see where your limitations are but also where like where you're strong or like where you're geared towards and be able to play off of those. Um, and, and kind of like you were just talking about, like the, the transition from being open and running and everything, but still taking on a couple things and then going into um, lockdown. And now the side projects become a bit more of an emphasis. Um, it's that adaptability. And, and I think oftentimes it can come down to like with uh, courage and cowardice. It's it's also like confidence and adaptability that it's an like cowardice oftentimes is a lack of confidence and the inability to adapt because mm -hmm. in most situations we're underprepared. Um, yeah. Or at some point we've or, we've or been underprepared. Yeah, we've been underprepared, and it's it's less so about I've done this before to I'll figure it out or like I'll make it work or like my skill set is enough that it's enough that I'm confident in my ability to work this out or to be able to do this job or, you know, do this task, something like that. Like, even if you haven't done it before, I think, I think oftentimes people can get lost in in what something is as a whole. And right now I'm more so talking about jobs, but we can go more private and like philosophical on that side. But a lot of times like reading through a resume, people look at it as a whole and be like, I like I can't do any of this. I've never done this before. Like how anybody that's ever gotten a promotion has never done that job before. But it's oh. it's it's less so like I've done this whole list of tasks. And more so a mentality of like, I will figure out how to do these. I have competency. Yeah, exactly. That, that I'm competent enough that I have the ability that I can do all these things. Like, I, I like the idea of like, not I, the, I don't have ever ending skill, but I do have enduring will. 
right? So it's like I have a capacity to continue and learn and kind of exceed my expectations because my expectations are not that of, you know, uh, my expectations aren't that that they have to be 100% fulfilled. They're that I do the work necessary on a day-to-day -day basis. And sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Um, and, and I see a lot of people when they look at a resume or anything in life, for instance, the difference between can't and won't, right? Like I can't do something, you really should say I won't do that, right? Like I'm either afraid, which means it's not that you can't, it's that you won't do it because you're afraid. Those are two different things altogether, just like confidence and cowardice. There's can't and won't that kind of fall in there. And I see a lot of people get trapped in that victimization of, of believing that I feel like we're ignorant to who we are for sure, especially as we go through age, we recognize that, but we're also ignorant about who we could be. And that's something I came to realize recently is like my, my belief of who I was actually kept me very shaded and jaded about who I could be if I just fucking tried new things and failed at it and learned and adapted, like you said. Yeah, the, the un, unwillingness to fail, but also the unwillingness to even expose yourself to fail. Yeah. Um, I think somewhere like, I don't know if it was ever universally there, if it maybe just exposed now in a, in a culture that like we're, we have the availability to limit exposure to such a great degree that then there ever has been. Mm -hmm. um, I think that might be like, might be a growing trend or maybe just like us where we are in our lives and in our age that like we're more aware of it. And so like, it's something that we recognize to a greater degree or, more often um and you know part of that it's i'd say it's exposure but it also like all of it starts with responsibility and like that's kind of the can and won't is like taking the responsibility of even those notions of i won't do this because i'm not willing to expose myself to it and like fail at it or i won't do this because it goes against a principle or a value or like i'm I won't do this because I'm too lazy, but then that also like, even that is an acceptance of the responsibility of like the part that you play into it because we can look at like, can't, I can't do this. It's, well, it's, unless you physically can't do that, it's a won't. Yeah. yeah. Like unless there's, even you know. then you can build your, your capacity. Yeah. Right? Like it, yeah, doesn't mean you, it doesn't mean you can do it tomorrow, but it means by trying today to build a capacity that you'll then lean into the problem with you'll be able to do it eventually. So there's never really a can't. There's just a, how far do you want to dig to find the, 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 the paramount of that weakness and then build upon it. Like sometimes we're look at, looking at surface level capacity when really it's a deeper rooted incapacity that, that is really the problem I find anyway. Yeah, and, and again, with all of that, like now talking through some of this, I think we're, we're stemming down from the original concept and we can build back up to it of, um, courage and cowardice, but like ultimately, I think they both run through a medium of responsibility, and like there's a jumping-off point from that. Um, are you familiar with who uh, Matt Vinson is? No. He's uh, okay. So I'm going to steal something that he says. So credit to Matt Vincent, uh, owner and founder of uh, Hate Brand Goods. So like he he has a really great conversation um, on his um so podcast it's it's talking about um responsibility and if you let somebody borrow your vehicle and they crash that he will pay for the damages done without the expectation of the person that took the vehicle paying for it like if they do great if they don't like either way he's taking responsibility of it because he handed over the keys Whereas by that same notion, if he's the person that is taking somebody's vehicle and crashes it, he'll pay for it because it's his fault that he crashed it. Yeah. So like through either, either way of those scenarios, it looks at the individual taking the responsibility and not placing that responsibility on somebody else. Yeah. It's uh, and that's a big thing. And like, I think where this conversation comes from is like, I was that guy though that wasn't like that, that pushes that responsibility onto other people. And like, and I think that's the most important thing is recognizing that you have those, those tendencies or habits or reactions and then being able to build on them is you don't want to feel, you have a choice here. You can either feel the shame of, you know, pushing off responsibility, or you can feel the pain 
of bearing a responsibility. But at least when you bear it, you come out of the other side stronger and you're more like, holy shit, look what I can do when I actually put my fucking head down and, and, and just take something head on. Um, and that's a really cool thing because, yeah, like I, I actually did that. I crashed someone's car. I crashed another person's car. And I was 17 and uh, I took a car and went way too fast and I almost killed two other people and myself in the crash. And my parents paid for the car. So instead of going through insurance and rising people's insurance prices, that kind of stuff, my parents paid for another person's car. And I, all that it really gave me was a sense of guilt for the rest of, you know, until I finally, you know, had the conversation with my parents. All it really gave me was a sense of guilt that my parents did that and that I struffed off responsibility. Could I have paid for the car myself? I would have said that I couldn't, but I also never had to. So I said I won't. And I think that that's a, it's a, it's a tough tough thing because people are looking for instantaneous comfort instead of taking responsibility and not taking responsibility is an infinitely more uncomfortable. So it's interesting you use that and yeah, hate Brown. Now that you brought it up, I do understand where that's from. So yeah, good show. Uh, and you know, with that, that, that at some point we've all been in a place and in a time where like we haven't taken responsibility Yeah. and because they're like, no matter the situation, like we can, you can always extrapolate a situation where you can take responsibility away from yourself. It's, you know, this thing happened, this, like it was somebody else's fault and taking the pressure off of yourself. But, but by that same notion, like in every situation, if you put responsibility back on yourself, that's the one variable that you can control outside of, you know, the, like the butterfly effect of life of, the like the effect that a butterfly's wind is going to have on you being late for something or like a car crash or anything like Mm. that you have you have an inability to control any outside circumstances in this world that happen around you so if we look to if we look to an acceptance of being responsible for all things that we do and the impact that it has we can at least make a change or control how that outcome comes or limit, sorry about that, or limit um, the potential like exposure to situations that aren't going to work out well or that are going to be, that are going to have a negative impact. Because as we operate in this world, we, we have no say in how people react to us and how people interpret us and how people respond to us. We can, once we have an understanding of where they're coming from, where their perception is, um, or, you know, where their biases are, like we can try to take some measures to help alleviate that, but we only know about it whenever we're aware of it. And oftentimes there's, there's so much of that perception or interpretation that goes unvocalized or unverbalized that that we can't control that until we know about it. So if we're approaching life always waiting on just being told like we're going to be dictated by others and that's going to limit our ability of how we operate because we're always looking for someone else's feedback to tell us how we should be. Whereas if we if we look in a way of I know myself and I take responsibility for everything I do. Mm-hmm. And then we, with, to me, with taking responsibility also brings in an, an, an acceptance of how those results play out or um, what the, you know, what the final end result is because you accept it, whether it goes good, whether it goes bad, like, I had a part in this and this is what I can change next time or this is what I need to continue to do to replicate this result. But it comes down to the individual accepting that responsibility because with the acceptance of that, like there's there's ownership to it, but also control in how and how we dictate what the outcome is or what that path is going to be. I think that, yeah, and like that's without responsibility, you really can't you can't change like when there's something that has gone wrong numerous times, if you have something or gone wrong or just like you can't figure out what's going wrong with it, you're the only thing that can really do anything about it. If you take responsibility, like I think about learning to put a hammer into or a nail into a board with a hammer, simple. It is a simple idea, but a lot of people hit their thumb over and over and over again. 
right? And they're like, this is fucking stupid. And I'm like, I don't know if hammering something can be stupid, right? You're the one taking action. You're holding the hammer. You're holding the nail and you're missing the mark. So somewhere along the way, it's your responsibility to figure out where and why you're missing the mark. But if you don't just, if you don't figure that out and you forego all responsibility and you set that back down, the next time life forces you to put that nail in, you're still going to hit yourself in the thumb, right? Like there's, there's just got to come a point where you want to take responsibility for those things because inevitably you will get hurt one way or another. So it's a, it's a really strange, strange mentality, but I, I think it comes down to comfort, right? Like we all want to be comfortable in the situations we find ourselves in. Yeah. Cause I mean, comfort, comfort is easy. And when we're like with responsibility, it doesn't have to responsibility doesn't necessarily mean having the answer. Cause I want to bring up that point too, that again, I think you and I are like, have the benefit of being pretty introspective in ourselves and have luckily had a, like a lot of life happen to get some different, um, you know, expanded knowledge on, uh, different approaches on different perceptions or different interactions that have allowed us to um, see how to approach things differently. And so like, it, it's great for us to say in this conversation, like taking responsibility and making the change, but that's a skill. Well, yes. And, and I like that you point that out that, that there's a skill to that. And where I think, I think where, responsibility starts is just an understanding of your limitation in those skills because because just knowing that hey this isn't working doesn't mean like that's taking responsibility and ownership of this isn't working it's identifying that it's not to say that you have to have the answer but Mm -hmm. if if you at least take the responsibility this is on me and i need to figure it out part of that figuring out is I need to like, I need to interact. I need to talk to or have a conversation around somebody that can help direct me in the right way. It's not to say that the individual always has to know the answer because we are limited by what we know and what we can do. But that, that ownership, that responsibility exposes an issue and gives us a pathway to change. And some of that change can be just identifying that we're limited in our knowledge or our ability and we need to bring in outside help and, and to relate it back. I think that that can be a divide as well of courage and cowardice is courage is, is identifying that in taking that step out um, or reaching out or bringing in somebody else that, um, that might be able to assist with this or that acceptance of, I don't know what to do next. Whereas cowardice, I think it falls more onto either you're, you lack in the ability to see your limitation and there's a cowardice in that because you can't step outside of it. Um, or if you have that recognition, the unwillingness to step outside of that because you're fearful of whatever result that can bring. And with courage, it's, it's that willingness to take the step. It's you know, the, the visual I get for it, it, it's the difference of the person that is on the cliff below the river that's willing to run and jump in and the person that can't do it, mm-hmm. it or won't do it, I should say. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not that either have the inability that they can't do it. It's just, do you have the courage to take that leap? And that's a, yeah, and like, and that, I, I think that comes down to, to trust and, and, and I think that comes down to just vulnerability. Right. Like I think that it's, it's weird because you wouldn't think that trust and vulnerability go hand in hand when I talk to most people. Um, but you kind of have to be vulnerable with yourself in order to kind of trust yourself as well. Right. Like you, you can't second guess yourself, but you also can't belittle yourself. You know what I mean? Like you, you need to go forward and take that step, take that leap. Um, hell, my whole business was a leap. And then a week after it opened, a pandemic happened. Right. And it, I'm no worse for the wear, you know what I mean? I just, I actually probably expanded my business to a place that I feel more competent and comfortable because of the forced acknowledgement that like what I wanted to do isn't gonna happen. It's not a won't or a can't on my end. It's it's a it's a mandated thing. It's a thing that's happening to the world. Um, but for a moment, there was a sense of cowardice where I'm like, well, this isn't gonna work. This isn't what I wanted. And then it was just kind of like, well, you, 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 you're just vulnerable. Like with this vulnerability, how are you going to grow out of it? Um, and you just take that leap and you just find yourself, you know, swimming in the lake a little bit, you know, finding comfort when you jump off that, that cliff 
and it's uh it's a tough one like do you find yourself i was going to relate this to something that we were just talking about but my brain went off on a little different direction um i guess oh because you pointed out just that we have the wherewithal through experience and that kind of stuff to, to at least acknowledge that we might have more of an insight towards who we are or our our lack of knowledge like I know for me I was the guy I was talking about I thought it was stupid I can't hammer a nail which sounds like a simple thing and then I work with a carpenter and he showed me how to do it like you you ask people for help they, they they don't want you to be stupid in fact you're actually useless when you're stupid or non non willing you're only stupid if you're not willing to ask the questions on how to get better right otherwise you're just ignorant and ignorance has a cure right stupidity does not because you're cut you're in cowardice I feel like we have to relate ignorance to a to a place that we can grow from where, you know, when you make a choice and you just stand idly by to do the things improperly or you're afraid to ask questions, you're, you're going to be a coward. Um, so yeah, I don't know. My tangent went the wrong direction because something popped up in my computer. I like where the tangent went, but um, like to bring it back a little bit, I, I like that you said trust and vulnerability have to go hand in hand for for growth or to reach a courage state. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not its not that cowardice and courage are mutually exclusive of each other. I mean, I, I think there can be a fluctuation between the two where the divide is kind of that action or non-action. And so with, with trust, and vulnerab- trust and vulnerability, I think it exposes that stage of something actionable. And, and you know, so like you talked about your starting a business and going forward with that, that you have to be vulnerable, but um, you trusted your ability to make it work. Whenever the mm-hmm. pandemic hit, there was a vulner, like even if it was a mandated vulnerability, it was still there, mm-hmm. but you still trusted the process that I'm going to figure it out. Um, kind of, For me, what it brought up is like different stages in my life that I grew up in a small town and like the people I grew up with, were the people I knew, it was a town of, I think population was between 2000 and 2500. So very, very small town and like pretty much knew everybody growing up through my whole life and whatnot. But I knew at a young age that like, this can be a great life and a very comfortable life, but it wasn't a life that I wanted. And because I knew, basically I knew how that played out. Like I, friends, family, different parents, everything like, I, I could see the end result of that and like had the answer of, okay, this is what it leads to. And again, nothing wrong with that at all. I would have been very, very comfortable, but it's not something I wanted. I didn't want at, you know, 13, I didn't want the answer to what my life is going to look like when I'm 80. Yeah, I wanted yeah. like I and was limited, was limited in the capacity of capacity and the ability to make it something still questionable or something unseen in that space. And so whenever I looked, um, use sports to got several, um, scholarship offers, but I took the one that was three and a half hours away from home to get three and a half hours away from home. Cause I was like, I, I need to get out. I need to see different things. And then like intentionally went about that where I could have been a lot more comfortable through some of the other ones, even, even better offers but I took the one that was furthest away. And then again, going into like my professional career, I went to us, I went from Kansas to Texas where I knew no one in the state, the one of the largest States in the United States knew nobody in the whole state, had no friends, had no family, but, but there was in both of those stages, there was an acceptance of vulnerability, but also a trust myself that I'll figure this out. I'll make it work. And like there, there was never, never really, doubt in that and that's why I could turn it into action because there's an acceptance of that vulnerability but a courage and confidence of trust in myself that I can make this work I think that's huge and I I relate this a lot like especially to well I'm going to relate it to men because that's what I am and I can't really speak for the female population what we are yeah exactly um we know what best we're, yeah, we're kind of, we, we got that knowledge basis down. And and I think that we've, like, if you go back, uh, you know, and we look at history and what vulnerability meant, and uh, I just find within the male population, a lot of times we're not using vulnerability as a, 
lead up to strength, right? We're actually viewing it as a, a perpetuative weakness, right? Like it's, if I'm vulnerable, therefore I'm weak. And it's like, yeah, but you got to be weak to get strong. Um, and I know looking at the pandemic and looking at suicide statistics among men and various things is I, I, I do wonder what exactly, what exactly do we need to do to have conversations where one, we can be courageous, right? We don't need to fall victim to this idea that we only have male, toxic male masculinity on one side and complete vulnerability and emotions on the other. There has to be a middle ground where we understand that we can grow our capacity in our emotional state as we are men with emotions and vulnerabilities that lead us into courageous acts as well as just the courage to move forward in life with respect and uh, and, and virtues of our own distinction like I, it's a place that i always like ponder as i watch like i've had numerous uh numerous of my friends that have committed suicide right and and there's got to be a point i know that took like a heavy turn but i think it comes back to confidence and and cowardice and i don't think that anyone who took their life is is a coward at all I think that they might not have had the confidence to talk about the vulnerabilities they were experiencing. Yeah, I kind of same situation. Like, have had males, a lot of like several males throughout my lifetime uh, go the route of suicide. And I completely agree that, like, I don't know the answer to it. I think it's, I mean, simply it'd be having more conversations and like that comfortability to be vulnerable, to, to take the steps to have the, the conference conversations and like take the steps to get the help needed whenever like you understand it's something more than, more than you can deal with and like finding the, finding that help. And I, I don't know how we go from those two extremes to find more of a middle where it's there's a greater acceptance of it or um, more vulnerability in the space of having conversation. Like, honestly, I think it just comes down to that is like having having conversations and like and putting it out, putting it out in a way that it's it's relatable enough or like even if somebody's not having those conversations, finding a way to seek it out that that if you are in in a suicidal state and you like you don't have a willingness to like call a suicide hotline or talk to somebody directly about you having um, suicidal thoughts or just in a um, like very depressive state in a like in a low of lows to I think even the first step could be like seeking out those conversations about it like it doesn't have to be doesn't necessarily initially have to be you having the conversation but but exposing yourself that these conversations are happening that that people are having those conversations it's kind of like we've talked about a little bit in um some of the labs like people just jump on there and like no no video going no microphone like just sit and listen and that's completely fine and and with all of those I always encourage it like hey take your time if if this is what you need right now and where you're at of uh, I just need to sit and listen and kind of figure out where I fall into that. That's completely fine. But just know these conversations are happening at any point. You're more than welcome to take the video off to put the microphone on and start asking questions. But there has to be that there has to be a comfortability in that vulnerable state as well to lead up to the point where like you can have the conversation or like you have a willingness to to be vulnerable, to, to kind of expose yourself that you're, you're not this big, strong, masculine men, at least that's, that's portrayed it. I don't think in any way it takes away from anyone's masculinity or like it delineates away from who they are as a person or like makes them weak. It's just, it's just a, an acceptance of what's currently going on. And and I think sometimes with that, like whether it, whether it's because of society, just because of um, because of a self-imposed pressure, a combination of those two, whatever it may be, it's it's trying to I, I suppose just encourage people to to seek out whatever resources they need at that time or at that place at the level that they're at and figure out figure out how to build from there to get back into a 
get to a place where you can directly reach out for help for yourself or get back to a place that like you understand it a bit more and then can take positive or like healthy steps in I don't necessarily want to say like come I'll say relieving it but not in the sense that like it's completely resolved because if if we get to that state it's it's nothing something that I guess I want to repose it like this like I think I think there's times where we view things like suicide and depression like that it's something that you beat because because mm-hmm. a lot of times like as as a male against society it can be proposed like the competitive nature of things of like this is something like we do battle with we go to war against we yeah, we beat yeah. or we have victory over and and the thing is like those two things specifically there needs to be an acceptance of like this is something that is here for life like it's it's not that I'm going to be in my lowest point for life. And so like, there's, there's a trust in that, that it's, it's not going to be to the lowest point or I'm going to always feel like this, but, but there has to be a willingness to hold on to get through that. But that willingness to like, hold on, is not, I'm going to set and bear down and be alone in this. It's it's a willingness or a trust in others or whatever assistance that that individual might need to help better that but but yeah I think now that I'm trying to verbalize it I think there there's that association that it's something that can be beaten and Mm -hmm. in in that in that thought process of this something that I can beat when it comes back or when you don't get past the hump of it I've lost I'm defeated and like that that in itself can probably take a toll where Again, I, I think if if the conversation can be had to shift the perspective of this isn't something I'm trying to beat, this is something I accept, like mm-hmm. how we previously talked about setting at the table with your demons. If this is a demon that I accept and I welcome to the table and understand it, I know that chair is always going to be there. Like it's at no point do I get to put that chair up. Like there's going to be lesser times, maybe it moves down the table in my mind. It's like, the big traditional Thanksgiving table that, you know, goes 20 feet or whatever. Yeah. It moves down and we don't really have to focus on it right now, or we don't have stations are not had. Yeah. We don't have to give the attention to it because it's, it's not the top priority, like typically Mm -hmm. setting, you know, setting around the head of it, that's going to be where the focal point of us are, but it's having awareness that, Hey, that table's still there or that chair's still there. That demon's still sitting in its place. We just need to make sure that, like we're aware of it and we're not losing sight of it. Cause again, I don't, I don't think it's something that we can claim victory over ever. And that's sometimes where, where in my experience it's lost is like, if this is something I can beat or like I can do on my own that I can claim victory over. And it, it's not that. It's a really, I think that's yeah extremely well said and a lot of points there to kind of touch on because it's, it is not meant to be beat. And like for me, I was, when I was eight, I was diagnosed with depression. So at six, I went and I had, uh, I was in like a a mental health ward here in Canada. And then they diagnosed me with depression and they put me on antidepressants and things like that. And they were like, you have a chemical imbalance and all this kind of stuff. And then you live. So there's like a point of it for me that was like, someone told me, a doctor told me I had something that was, you know, going to mediate my state. I am now this person who identifies with this, which isn't, which is dangerous in and of itself for people to have, you know, that, that, that self-identifying thing. I have depression. Now I look at like, if I have depression, um, I work on maintaining mental health, but I can lapse into mental illness, just like you can catch a cold, right? Just like you can, you can go through periods of states. So I feel like there's a lot of, you know, again, speaking towards men or anyone really, you, there's comes a point where you're like, why do I have to go into these battles? Why is there? And it's really just, I don't believe we'll ever have world peace. So I don't think because of the, the emotions we can harbor because of the lack of awareness we can have. We'll always have battles. We'll always have storms. They'll be keep coming up. But one thing, and like, I like this about, you know, the prescript and the community and different things like that. But the one thing you can have is an army, 
right? Like I think that's it is communication, connection, things like that are the paramount for helping people get through their battles is, is having people they feel they can have trust, have conversations with. The conversations don't have to be about depression or mental illness, just having a conversation about anything, just knowing that there's someone out there that you can be vulnerable with, but maybe you just want to talk about a sport or you just want to shoot the shit, right? It doesn't have to be anything, you know, huge or momentous. But for me, that that's something that really, really matters that I see in a lot of men that that aren't there are the the ability to vocalize vulnerability or emotional states well, right? Like being able to be able to articulate these things in a way that is is where they don't feel like they have to combat their insecurity for vocalizing it, right? It's kind of this double-edged sword. It's like, I want to tell you how I feel, but I don't want to acknowledge that I feel it. And that's a that's a really, really hard place uh, I, I see a lot of men struggle with, and I talk about it openly with people. Because it's not, it's like one in three people are you know going through hard times you know in, in their life. Um, there's circumstances, there's perspectives. You never really understand another person's life. So if we can just open up and talk about it, you know, when those people feel comfortable, right? Like you said, like keep the camera off, listen to people talking, do whatever you can. It's exposure therapy. It's a gradient again. Like you do cold baths. I saw you answer that. Like when I filled up the, <laughs> the ice bath, it's not like I can go in there on sub-zero temperatures, right? Like that's not what I'm doing first. First, I have to get my body acclimated to just acknowledging what it's like to be cold and then you slowly bring that down and i think mental health or or, or mental illness is the same thing you kind of have to acclimate your thing your 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 sense of trust and vulnerability to a point that you really can open up and talk about it and i think that that's a really important thing that's often missed is people are just like well tell me how you feel honestly and it's like i don't fucking know how i feel honestly otherwise i wouldn't feel this way right like it's not <laughs> no one no one wants to feel this way um, and it, it's, it's definitely a struggle I see, and it's something that is, uh, related to, yeah, like you said, that demon inside those, those, those creatures that are here. Like I, I like to view my depression if I ever have it as like, look at the depression that exists. I don't want to say I'm depressed because I'm, my life is pretty awesome, right? I, it is really, really good, but it's a sensation or a feeling that resides within my perception. So I'd rather say like Ian is witnessing depression it, it's not actually that ian is depressed or sad i i think i can be and i think i have been but when i get put in those states it's important for me to step behind the emotion and look at it for what it is and say like oh wow look at this anxiety look at this depression it's not something that is uh that's part of me um as a whole but it's a part of me as just a part so that means that I can step away I can move it I can put its place setting at the table a little bit further down but first I need to have a conversation with it to acknowledge what I need to acknowledge and then hopefully we'll move it down uh, well and first off would just like to say I appreciate you bringing up your own experience I think that's kind of what we're working around is like it's it's having that vulnerability to like put yourself out there to have the conversation that if anybody listens to this hopefully I don't, I don't know how we got to this point but I want to keep yeah, running yeah, with it because no, cool. I'm really enjoying the conversation but yeah like hope, hopefully it even if it you know us having the conversation it opens up somebody like it makes somebody more willing to reach out or like mm. just better dive into themselves to try to find that understanding I, I think it starts with that is like us talking from our own personal experiences and kind of where we're at. And so that's, that's a huge thing of leading by example, just, you know, you kind of, you, I don't want to say you threw it out there casually, but like it's, you've been dealing with it and we're diagnosed at such a young age, like mm -hmm. it's, it's been a part of your life. And I, I think that was kind of expressed in how it was presented was like, yeah, I was, I was clinically diagnosed with depression and like, and, but like, I, I almost think like the casual nature of that helps with the acceptance and helps with having the con like having greater conversations of just like, yeah, this is a thing. It's not my only thing. It doesn't define me. Um, like I, like I've never been look at a population and they're like, people will struggle. Like if you're sitting in a room with three people and one and three of them will struggle with a mental illness, I'm not abnormal. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing is it's not, it doesn't define me. I'm fucking hilarious. I have friends. I have a lovely wife. Like, it's not, it's not anything that is, it, I struggle, but I don't expect people to understand my struggle. Like when people are like, you'll never understand. If people are like, I would never understand your struggle. Fucking good. It sucks. I wouldn't wish this on someone. 
right? Like that's the thing is if, if we want people to help us, we cannot wish that they were like us, right? We cannot wish upon them the, 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 the struggles we have, but I, I see that a lot of the time. And yeah, I like it to be casual because it's not, fuck man, a hundred years, a few people listen to this podcast. Like what really, what really am I saying about myself? That is, that is that detrimental, especially if society's saying, hey, we need to open up about this. Okay, well here, and, and I'm no worse for the wear. And if people have judgment on that, and that's, that's a skill I've earned and I've developed through confidence and removing cowardice and thinking that a hundred years I'm dead, it's not gonna matter anyways, being a little bit of an altruistic existential optimist, um, that I'm not saying anything abnormal. Society dictates it as abnormal because it's kind of new. Right. So anyways, continue. I appreciate that. But I just want to put it out there is I, I'm glad that it seemed nonchalant because I really want it to be. Yeah. And it, it should be more normalized, like the metaphor, because I know I kind of mentioned the like set at your table with the demons, but oftentimes the metaphor I use for depression or like how I try to describe it um, for like what I've been through, it, it's never been clinical depression. So I don't want to say it's like to to the extent of that, but like through my own experiences, oftentimes if I try to speak about it, it's think about, like think about treading water and like you're treading water in deep water where your head's above water. There's always a crush, there's always a pressure and there's always a resistance against it. And you feel like at any point we can drop below that water and it's going to be a greater fight, but like it's still, it's, is still continuing to tread and so and like oftentimes that's that's how i would describe my own is like there's everything's a little harder because because mm-hmm. we're you know going through water like there is there's a greater greater amount of tension and there's a pressure all around us and that's that's what it is for me whenever i go through states of it is it's just a pressure and and trying to better realize that makes me more aware of needing to take action of like, oh, I've, I've been in bed for a couple of days. Like I need to get up and move. I need to get up and do something. Um, yeah, I don't know. Don't know where else I was uh, going with that, but, but yeah, more so just like the conversation of, oh, here we go. Okay. So, so it's understanding that. And, you know, often, I think oftentimes like it, it comes into that cowardice of there's there's a fear behind it mm-hmm. and then and because of that fear there's an unwillingness of acceptance or acknowledgement whereas whereas how at least my approach to things is like there's paradox in life and we don't get one without the other it's i mean you can go yin and yang you can go balance what yeah what like whatever yeah exactly whatever opposites you want to use but but in an emotional state like we don't get the extremes of joy without the severities of sadness and depression it's that in understanding that spectrum knowing that it operates on a pendulum then that Mm -hmm. pendulum might not swing a full 180 across the board every time like it might lose its way or like it might lose um velocity on one side or the other and it might hang a little longer in the other but but knowing that there there is those extremes and we don't get to experience one thing without the experience of the other because because the removal of those that's that's where we find numbness and i think that's almost to me that's worse having that numbing sensation than an extreme joy or an extreme sadness because because with my mentality, at least if I'm feeling or I'm experiencing one of those, mm. I have an awareness of the other that like, I'm not going to be up at, I'm not going to be to this extreme of joy or happiness for my whole life. So let's dig into it. Let's enjoy it. Or the other yeah. side of like, I'm not going to be this sad, this depressed, this hurt my whole life. So I can accept being in this now, but I need to start taking steps to get away from it. It's whenever, it's more difficult, I think, whenever we go to that state of numbness where you don't feel. And like, in that, that's oftentimes, I think, where we start experiencing like some detrimental or some negative tendencies is try to recreate that, the sensation of feeling through vices or, you know, through extremes. 
yeah exactly dreams natures like i i know for myself like especially when i was young and on antidepressants like i think that's why i crashed that car is when you can't when you're numb and you can't feel you're willing to do extreme things to at least try to push that because if it's it's keeping you on a completely even keel and we're meant to feel the extremes of that emotion and and i think that some of the sadness that i used to feel was that someone told me i had clinical depression do i think that i have clinical depression I think it's more complex. I don't. I think that there's a chicken and an egg. Is serotonin reuptake an issue, or is something else going on that creates those variabilities? I don't know. I'm not a neuroscientist, but I do know that there's more complexity to it. But within that, because someone told me I could not be happy, I always then strived for a permeance of happiness. And there is no such thing as permeance. There is no such thing as a linear scale. We'll see this in strength training. People are like, I want to infinitely get stronger. Sorry, there's myostatin. You got different things that are going to hinder your progress. There's going to have to be periods of plateau, which are an appropriate time to readjust and, and find a new catalyst for growth. And when you remove the idea and ideal of permeance of this happiness or the when you are sad and you're depressed and you believe that you are forever in that drowning state, right? You're a permeance of, of sadness. I, really, permeance is really the ultimate kind of downfall, I find, for myself anyways, circumstantially, is the belief that I should be or should not be within these states or or find a medium. Like, sometimes you just got to sit on a couch and watch a fucking movie. You can't be going hard all the time. But if you notice you've been watching a movie for six days straight, well, now it's time to be like, okay, I'm obviously in a way about myself. Like, it's time, like you said, a couple days in bed, and it's like, what the fuck is going on? You don't have to guilt yourself. You don't have to be upset. But what you do have to do is acknowledge it as not the individual you wish to perpetuate. And I think that, that, that a small scale, like the, the victory is the shower. The victory is the text back to someone. Like getting yourself in a momentum, you know, breaking inertia is like really the hardest part. But once you do that, you're, you're, you're going in a direction that you didn't even, most of us end up in the depressed state or the happy state. But if you find out you're there, you can also start to mediate the values that help you go the direction you're looking to go, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And, and I think you explained it very, very well. Of Like there's, there's a recognition of the situation you're in, there's an acceptance of it, and then a focus forward. And mm -hmm. that, that focus forward is, is not meant to be the extremes or an expectation that I'm here now, like we so often see in I mean, in fitness, we see people want instant results in kind of the same way They're like, there shouldn't be that guilt over not, not being too like an improved state or like being where you expect to be, or maybe where you think others expect you to be, but, but going forward from that, ex or that recognition, that acceptance and moving forward through a, like, small gradient or like like tiny steps um it's that whole thing of like walk when you must sprint when you can mm -hmm. is we we don't need to start out sprinting and oftentimes if we try to if we try to start out sprinting that it's it's going to be very very short-lived and the crash is going to be very very hard from that or that it's um just it's it's kind of a fake thing. And then, then in that, like in trying to fake it and not actually be able to feel it, same thing that like this whole time, nothing was ever resolved or we never took those steps that we needed to, to try to improve or having those tiny victories to continue to progress of, Hey, you got up and showered today. Like, yeah, great job. Or you, you know, you went on a walk, you texted somebody back, you, you did something outside of everything that your body was telling you to do of don't move, stay there. And that's, that's really hard. And like, I always think of myself as like, I ask myself internally, are you perpetuating fulfilling self-defeat? Like that's a conversation I have to look in a mirror and be like, are you listening to your brain or are you the individual that is, is making the distinction of those thoughts? And I need to, and we've talked about this before, and like that's sitting with your demons. Like there's many people speaking. As much as we're not hearing voices in our heads, we understand that we have irrational considerations that come careening into our consciousness. And if you just allow those willy-nilly to come out and just kind of 
perpetuate your state. Well, now you're fulfilling self-defeat. You are siding with the enemy. And you kind of have to witness those enemies as who they are. They're part of you, you know. And like we talked about this in the last one, like finding the monster who has a little bit of aggression. Sometimes I actually have to aggress, be aggressive against the, the monster that exists. And that's how I change my course. I make a distinct one chance option. Like as soon as you turn off autopilot, as soon as you make one course change, even if that's, you know, one aerial degree, you're still off the course of, of hell, right? You're still changing course and you're changing direction. And I think that like, if people are listening to this and it's kind of like, holy man, like having a shower, like whoop de fuck. When you meet people that have been in that state, that, that, that there's people who are in catatonic states, right? Like that's a huge win. But if we don't acknowledge that as a huge win, they might never, you know, overcome that. I know CEOs that have gone through um, like crazy states of manic depression or massive depression. And they're CEOs, you know what I mean? Like it's not because their life wasn't amazing. It's that, you know, we're, we're hardwired complex biological machines. We need to understand that there's some variability to our biology. There's some variability to our perception and our circumstance. And within that, you got to be willing to kind of take what you can do as the smallest step away from hell and and it doesn't matter what's who you are or how accomplished you are it you know what like if that ceo runs a fortune 500 company and they got up and showered that day that's still actually their fucking win it doesn't mean that they're not going to come back and be an amazing back to where they were they probably will be but it's because they took that action of that shower right and i think that a lot of people miss that we, we try to sprint and then we break our fucking nose on the concrete because we're fumbly. We've been laying in bed the whole time and then you're going to get what? Jump up and sprint? You're just going to look like Kermit the Frog until you break your nose. It's not, it's not, it's not productive, but it, we feel like, I think you become, when you sense, sometimes when you get deep into that sense of vulnerability or awareness of your, of your perpetual state of negativity, you're like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. And it's like fight or flight trying to get away. But I think we need to breathe and acknowledge it and just kind of move forward. Uh, and maybe help help by opening that world up to other people by having conversations so that they can ask us, how are you doing today, right? Like how, what about today is a little bit better? Because I don't think that our brain, the one that creates the problem, is necessarily the one that's going to solve the problem. That echo chamber mentality might only, might only make it worse. Yeah, and, and with that, like it's, you kind of spoke to like getting up and running away. Like the truth is like, that's the one person you can't escape is yourself. <laughs> you're stuck in your own head and you have to, you have to live with yourself and finding a, like finding those outside resources because you might have an inability to do that. And we've mentioned a couple of times, like having victories, like it, it can be these small victories of taking a shower of making your bed. Like I, I think in, any of these like motivational books or like motivational topics presenters or podcasts that like try to get people like put people into action all of them start with these little steps like yeah, yeah like that's the one that like some of them that continue across the board because small successes matter but also like i think um there's we'll see it a lot through social media of like whenever people are talking about like where what they looked like when they were depressed and what they look mm. like now and like i i think it's in fitness fitness is notorious for this of like oh i used to be like out of shape here's a out of shape sad picture of me that here here's me fit here's me yeah. happy smiling the truth is like happiness and depression are in both of those pictures like yeah like they, there's not you know there, there's not a ton of, like oftentimes if i'm going through depressive states nobody knows it because I'm not walking around acting depressed. Guess what? Like faces on, like I like facing on interacting, like being very engaging, yeah. still trying to be helpful, everything. It's like, it, it just isn't just, do. yeah, it's the, even though like depression might be from a, you know, like Eeyore from Winnie and the Pooh. Yeah. Okay, so like depression might look like Eeyore in our mind's eye or like our mental state, but it's not an outward expression of that expectation of like how we as an individual looking to someone else, how we're defining depression. There there should probably also be like a 
a look at for us as individuals, like how we view it or like what our expectation of somebody else's depression is, because I, I think it, that does get perpetuated of the image of like Eeyore or exactly. And, yeah. and it, it's not necessarily that it's like, I, I think maybe when that state happens is when you're alone, like it's whenever you're going home and like, or you like you have the moment in the office by yourself or like after like, like the moment whenever you pull up in your driveway before getting out of your vehicle, just like setting there. Like it, it's those moments oftentimes where like it's so impactful and we'll, you'll get that Eeyore state, but oftentimes like that's not what's going to be presented to the outside world. And so having that perception or just checking in with people that like, just because they're like they're smiling and mm-hmm. and so joyful that like oh nothing's going on like it, it's good to check in on people and and I think that kind of gets highlighted often with some of the some of the um, suicides of comedians that you know they're right how can like how could this, how can this person be depressed he's one of the funniest people but like he's it I can almost guarantee like he became funny because of the depression or because of those sad states that it was, it's kind of a counter force back against that internalization. And, and so like, if we're look, like, if you're looking at, I think in life, we, we look at trying to create counter forces to try to create that balance of like, not even the emotional spectrum of those extremes, but that counterforce in our action of this is how I'm feeling inside. So I'm going to overcompensate for that. I'm very guilty of that. Like I'm fucking hilarious. And it's, uh, <laughs> I'm not as funny, but <laughs> I exactly it's, and like, that's the thing is it's, it's almost how you create your sense of stability. Like I would like, I, through my sadness, I witness absurdity, right? Like, or through whatever. And, and sometimes that's what you really, I always think of a jester. Right, like uh, jesters were ones that would be able to tell the king something without telling the king something. Right, it was someone who was able to portray a point of ridicule and get away with it. And and I think that by having to look at the world through a perceptionary scale that might be on the darker end of things, like I'm not one to get offended very easily. Right, like because I don't see the world, I, I don't see the world as hostile. I just don't. I think if the world, if people are like, oh, the universe is out to get me, if there was anything more terrifying than that, it's actually that the universe is indifferent. Yep. Yeah, like it's not that it has nothing. So I have nothing to get offended about because my offense means nothing because there's an indifference within the inherent universe of my existence. I am but a speck. And within that, that could lead to like an existential sadness, I suppose. But that's also a very liberating state. Like that's where I get my positivity from is I can't fuck this up because there's no expectation to it whatsoever. That's how I pull myself out of various states of, you know, negative mental turmoil. But within that, it is funny because you get to see the forest through the trees and you get to witness the absurdity and you get to laugh and go, oh my goodness, this is just something that's happening. How surreal. And you know, a lot of people, I think when they have that greater picture, that, that sense of humor, under that is a deep rooted understanding of insignificance or the you know the the greater depression or anxiety that might exist from recognizing that existential process uh it kind of gives them something to laugh at but it's only laughter because what else can you do with that much absurdity yeah sometimes all you can do is just just laugh um uh I don't know how much time you have, but we might be yeah, like past. Yeah. So, so I guess just to kind of like bring this, bring this home a little bit, like um, kind of ending on it, like all kind of in on a point. And if you want to jump on to, you touched on a little bit, but like a take home, kind of a take home message or an actionable item that has helped you previously. Um, I'll start like, often like oftentimes if I notice I'm in that state what's beneficial for me is helping others like whether like it's it's talking through somebody's problem and like trying to give them solutions like it it doesn't there there can be a physical component of like going in like physically helping with something or like being of a service 
in that state, but also just like having conversations, listening to other people's issues and trying to help them resolve them. Mm-hmm. That's one way, like for me, that's often my approach of trying to get out of that. Cause I think with that, it like there's, I think why it helps me is because like it, it changes my viewpoint that has been so internally focused and like so reduced in nature of like just self that now I can start looking back out to like other people in this world with other problems and like something great, like greater than me that I can now focus on. And if I can find a solution for them or like I can just be a supportive ear, like, that's that's where I can make an impact and so like having having that ability to be impactful outside of self and looking towards other others to try to be of a service from them that that's usually one of my steps that I'll take uh in trying to get out of that state or try to um improve upon those lower points Mm -hmm. and I think that's that's amazing I think it's very similar to me I'll I'll, I'll definitely I'll this that we we share that. And I think it's one, it kind of gives you confidence that you, if you're able to help someone, you're going to feel better because you help them. There's also someone who trusts you. And if someone can trust you with their problems, you might be able to trust yourself. And I think that brings it back to the confidence. If you're, if someone is confident with your help, you might be able to be a little more confident with own your self-help and just removing it. Like for me, I know that part of like the sadness or whatever it is, I don't want to call it narcissism because it has such a negative you know, connotation to it, but the sadness, anxiety is self, self, focused and there's a there's a narcissistic value to it so helping others helps me remove myself from my perpetuation of that problem so i think that's wonderful um so i'll definitely leave you with that one and i know that for me and i'm sure for you exercise right like there's a biological hacking that takes place of the endorphins of various other things but also to witness strength like that's the whole reason that i do this i wasn't much of an athlete it's not about that it's it's really on the metaphysical reality that I bring into like, as much as it's just lifting something heavy, it's taking on a challenge. It's witnessing that you're, you know, able to hold and grow a capacity. And that's translatable throughout every other aspect of your life is take on challenge, take on responsibility. And through that, you'll be able to harness the ultimate power, which is, you know, enduring. I think that people are too caught up in trying to solve something, not realizing that life isn't solvable. It's just endurable. And, uh, and I know for me, that's, that's probably the most, you know, wholesome takeaway is, is help others, but also help yourself understand that, uh, that you can get stronger through will and, and through vulnerability. I like the point that you brought up, you brought fitness back into this, um, because something I speak to is exhaust the body, settle the mind yeah. is so, you know, sometimes we're in such a state that we're in our own heads or we've we've allowed it to take dominance over not only our mind, but our physical state that as finding a relief by going in and exhausting your, the body, not to a detrimental state. No. So I put that out there because we both know people that do that and almost masochistic, masochistic in their approach to it, but exhaust the body, not only biochemically is it are you going to see improvements on that but it will give you a sense of accomplishment and through those means and just being tired like guess what the last thing I want to do whenever I'm physically tired I want to think about how sad I am like yeah so take home message if you're sad go run some sprints yeah right and it's it's tired yeah it's amazing how how quickly it changes in the first you know set or whatever it is or the first run you're like i it's the can't and won't again right and i think that the sooner we can change that verbiage over the sooner we can change again definitions of words you know residual manifestations that we try to perpetuate in our life the sooner we can acknowledge how we're using that verbiage the sooner we can actually change direction of our state of mind like our state of mind is really just a, a, a way in which we vocalize a perception um but we also have choice in that. So that's good. I like that. Yeah. Exhaust, uh, exhaust the body, calm the mind. So with that be take home message for everybody, be courageous in, in your willingness to reach out. If you need help, know that you're not alone in your depression or your like mental state. 
and have the acceptance that it's okay, like it's okay to be vulnerable or feel feel that uh, like sometimes in a cowardice, but it's it's that action of acceptance of vulnerability and having trust in in reaching out or whatever uh, pursuit to help help you improve upon that lower state or that depression or um, yeah. And I appreciate that. And I think that's a really good place. Like I know for having this conversation, being vulnerable with you or just listening to your advice, I get to walk away acknowledging that it's a shared experience, but it's not that, you know, we're, we're alone in it. In fact, we're together in it. And the more we can be vulnerable, the more we can overcome together. And, and I've learned something from you here today that I can make applicable and remind myself you know, when those times come up and, and I hope that everyone listening can kind of find the same things. Thank you so, so much, James. Like, I really appreciate it. We took a turn off of, uh, off what we were going for, but I think it turned into something that is applicable in this, in this time, in this, in this society. Um, and I think all across the board, whether it's fitness, health or mental health, just gaining that perspective and, uh, and, and being able to, you know, facilitate your passions. So. Well, thank you, Ian. I really appreciate it. And kind of same, like was not expecting to go down this route, but really happy it did. And um, yeah, anybody that is kind enough to fill their ear holes and listen to this, like by, by all means, like if you have a takeaway from it, like please feel free to reach out to either of us, even if Absolutely. it's just conversation or if you're in one of those states, just know you're not alone. And either of us are pretty good at the DMs and responding back. Absolutely. I really appreciate that, James. And we will uh, do this again. Yes. Yes, Always we will. for the topics. Okay. Thank you so much, my friend. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.